You're listening to the Warden Alumni Executive Education Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wharton Alumni Executive Education Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gramatsky, and today I'm going to be talking to Nafiz Amid, who is co-founder of Smart with a Heart, which is a leading test prep company that provides full services for people looking to get into the universities of their choice. So thank you for being on today. Oh, thank you, Alex. I'm doing great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so when did you uh, finish the Wharton program? Um, let's start with that, because I don't think I, I ran into you at, at the program. No, we didn't run into each other, but uh, we were in the same graduating class in the 2019. So uh, I believe I started uh, taking classes in 18 and I finished in 19. Awesome. And, and how did you enjoy that experience? I loved it. Uh, a, a lot of the classes were applicable to what we're trying to do um, at my company and my nonprofit, uh, scaling a, a small a uh, small venture into something hopefully a little bit bigger. Uh, so uh, a lot of the classes were directly applicable to my job. And Smart with the Heart, is that your nonprofit or is that another nonprofit you're referring to? Smart with the Heart is uh, uh, my nonprofit that I that I co-founded. Uh, Sherpa Prep is, is uh, a related company uh, where we do uh, standardized test prep and admissions consulting uh, and then, for graduate school. Okay, and how'd you get into that? Oh, by accident. Uh, honestly, <laughs> it wasn't something I set out to do. I don't think most people who get into test prep uh, set out to do it. Uh, but um, I've always been comfortable standardized testing. I was one of those kids uh, in middle school who had to take the SATs because the school asked. You know, I was one of those. And I always felt that there was a little game to be played. I was never scared of the test because I didn't even know what the tests were. Uh, but I, I just knew if you're going to ask me to do 30 questions in in 30 minutes, there's they can't actually be hard. There must be something silly behind them. I always thought of it as a game. And so that's how uh, I probably did well on those tests, just not thinking too much of, of them, frankly. Uh, so <laughs> time passed, uh, went to college, went to grad school. Uh, uh, and, and then uh, my sister, who was uh, at a graduate school program uh, in, in Baltimore, uh, she suggested I do some tutoring um, on the side, as she did, uh, to uh, have supplemental, supplemental income. And I, I said, all right, whatever. I don't even know what the SATs are anymore. It's been, at that point, I was maybe 28. Uh, I'd last taken the SATs when I was 16. I didn't even know what the SATs were. Uh, but I said, all right, I, I'm sure I can help these kids out. Uh, and it was fun. Honestly, it was just fun. It was just fun to help people who didn't know they were good at this stuff. They just, they, they just didn't know. And so the teaching part uh, was really quite fun. Uh, my my dad is a teacher, a professor, um, so I think there might be some of that in my DNA, but uh, it was just a lot of fun to do it. And uh, very quickly, uh, I would say, Alex, my, you know, something I did on the side uh, became something I did for my main job. Uh, you know, a little word of mouth goes a long way uh, teaching these kids. So uh, went from SATs to ACTs to adding on GRE, GMAT. Uh, and admissions, uh, graduate school admissions. And so now my days are mostly spent with uh, GRE, GMAT, and admissions. Okay, and a lot of our listeners might be aware of uh, all those acronyms, uh, you know, and I'm even aware of the SATs. I grew up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that you took your last SAT when you were 16. Is, is that considered young or is that considered normal here? Uh, a little young. Most people take their SATs in uh, junior year, senior year of high school. Um, I, I, I first took my SATs when I was 12. Uh, so that was I guess, seventh grade. But uh, it, it's just a, 
the SATs and the ACTs are the two main exams uh, in the United States to get into uh, undergraduate institutions. Um, and the GRE and the GMAT uh, are used for uh, a host of graduate schools, uh, including MBA programs. And did you find that all those tests have, you know, similarities to some degree among them, and that's why you're able to take your skills and expertise of, let's say, gamifying it in your own head and figuring out, you know, how the structure of these work, and therefore then passing on those lessons to uh, the people that you teach? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the tests are far more similar than dissimilar, even uh, even though they might have different names for things, uh, different uh, uh, time strategies and whatnot. But ultimately, uh, they're testing in my view, uh, attention to detail. Uh, they're testing uh, very basic concepts in mathematics. A lot of people who have fear of these tests think that they're testing high-level math. They're not, they're actually not. They're testing skill, which is not the same thing as knowledge. They're testing uh, how well do you manage the clock? How well do you manage those resources? Um, that's really what they're testing. Attention to detail, management of stress, uh, uh, being able to, uh, uh, let the last question go and look forward to the next question. These are these are the things that they're testing more so than anything. Uh, I've done some uh, research and obviously being in this, this very small world, um, I run across people who make these tests, the psychometricians who make them. And ultimately their, you know, their job is to measure the mind uh, and they do so in strange, peculiar ways. But once uh, you realize kind of what they're getting at and you see the similarities, across the exams. They're, they're more similar than dissimilar in terms of reading and then the math they test. Um, it, it's very easy for a person like me to show someone, oh, this is the code. You can actually do this. There's nothing here that's standing in your way uh, once you give them the confidence that that actually can happen. Interesting. So it sounds like psychology is a big part of what you help people with as well. Alex, honestly, the more I teach, the more I'm a psychologist. My, my wife is a, a therapist, a, a social worker therapist. And, uh, you know, in the pandemic, she's listened in to a lot of my, my, my Zoom calls, which I've been, you know, mostly on Zoom nowadays. Uh, and she'll tell you that I do more therapy than she does in some, on some days. Uh, it is absolutely uh, psychological uh, in terms of uh, what the test is uh, examining and also the preparation, uh, because most of the uh, uh, most people, myself included, uh, are academics uh, throughout elementary school, college, grad school, has been regurgitating, uh, regurgitating information. Uh, read this and then give this back to us at two, Tuesday at 9 a.m. And this, that, that, uh, that memorization process uh, continues throughout uh, the school year and the course. But um, these tests aren't asking you to memorize something. That's like a prerequisite that you know that pi r squared is the area of a circle. That's a prerequisite. This question, these tests are, okay, now that you know what pi r squared is, how quickly can you apply this, this formula to a question that isn't exactly telling you obviously that's being tested? And are you faster than other people who are also taking this exam? Um, it's a relative strength test, as opposed to most of our education, which we're judged against 100% as a perfection as possible. These adaptive tests, especially, confound people because they're not ex they're not used to that. They're not used to the idea that no matter how hard they study, they're going to get plenty of questions wrong. That fundamentally is psychological, and so the more I teach, the more elements of psychology that I have to bring in, uh, like Professor Duckworth uh, at Penn, uh, her her notions of grit, uh, uh, time poverty, 
all kinds of stuff that I've, uh, I've had to <laughs> read about and be uh, an amateur at, I, I try to bring into the course because uh, honestly, it's not really, these tests aren't what people think they are. Uh, they're actually a little bit simpler in some, in some respects. That's really interesting. And, and you mentioned you took your first SAT when you were 12 and yeah. I had read a book um, a while ago, Furious Ghosts, so I don't I don't know the name, but it's, it might've been like Outliers or one of those types of books uh, situation uh -huh. where it essentially talked about, they took a bunch of people, I think it was the United States that performed exceptionally high on the SATs, wanted to create this elite class and follow them for like 10, 20 years or whatever. And, and at the end of it, they realized that these people were not any more successful. Than, than other people in some cases, but they were really good at understanding and doing these specific tests or puzzles yeah. as yeah. they realized. So what you're describing here is, you know, how do you perform well in these things, you know, can be can be learned um, and and something that you teach. And the psychology behind it is, I think, super interesting um, because you talked about time poverty. Now I've not heard of that uh, expression yet. So what does that mean? Yeah, that, that's a, that's, that's a, a term I, uh, uh, I learned fairly recently. There's a professor, uh, Cassie Holmes, uh, who wrote a book about time poverty and how uh, in society we all, uh, well, most of us feel that we don't have enough hours in the day. And so when I ask my students who are uh, by and large, uh, my, my median students probably 26 years old, college graduate, has a uh, fairly well-paying job and is looking to go to grad school. So I might think about uh, uh, maybe a consultancy Four years into their job, they want to think about doing the next thing, maybe pivoting into something else. That's my student. Uh, that's who I teach a few thousand of every year. Um, they don't have a whole lot of time. They have a day job. They have some social engagements. They might have other family commitments. They might have extracurriculars that are really societally beneficial. They tutor. One of my students is a uh, uh, <laughs> he. Uh, volunteers at the National Zoo with the primate enclosure. Like they do really interesting, funny stuff. Uh, and th there's not a lot of time to study 15 hours a week or 20 hours a week to beat the GMAT, so to speak. They just, they don't really have it. So, uh, you know, I, I try to show them how to make the time, how to be positive when they feel like they're falling short of their very high expectations. Um, so uh, time poverty is like a concept, I, I have to be frank. I just read a book. <laughs> I know I know he's an expert, uh, but uh, it, it's something that I, I try to bring into my my course because it's very easy to feel less than yourself uh, on these exams. These are these are by and large people who have done really well in school, had really good jobs, have had a lot of positive reinforcement in every aspect of their life, and all of a sudden they see, hmm, I'm 55 percentile on this, and that's. Um, that's jarring because they've never been 55 percentile at anything in their life. And they're all shooting for, you can name the schools. Everyone is applying to the same schools. Uh, so it's a, it's a jarring thing that I have to tell them, hey, listen, we got to build some skills. You're capable of it. This is how you build these skills. So it's a lot of psychology, Alex. That's interesting. And you said you have a few thousand people a year that you work with that are all trying to excel. So um, and I don't know how many years you've been doing this, but as you said, if, if everyone's trying to get into these certain schools, mm -hmm. um, you know, engage people like you, how do you then, you know, differentiate yourself even more? And, and maybe this is not something that you, you spend a lot of time because you're specifically on, on the testing side of it. But, yeah. but it seems like, you know, if there's so many people that you alone deal with that are all trying the same thing to get ahead in these specific tests, like what, what's your thoughts about that in general? Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, these are very rough numbers, but uh, uh, there are 
150 to 250,000 people a year who take the GMAT. And most of those people will apply to business school in some form, be it full-time or some sort of specialized master's. Um, and a couple of them will apply to PhD programs. Uh, there are many, many more people who take the GRE every year. The GRE is the big tent uh, exam. It's for all graduate school, but by and large, uh, master's in history, political science, a lot of uh, business schools take the GRE as well. So it's a bigger tent exam. So we're looking at a pool globally of several hundred thousand people. And most of them, uh, let, let's say we can somehow siphon off the people who are only going to apply, let's say, business school. Uh, that's still uh, a couple hundred thousand people a year who are thinking about uh, business school. Um, if you look at the uh, matriculated classes at the top 25 business schools, it's not that many. It's uh, 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 Wharton might be about 800 a year, 900 a year. Uh, most schools that are uh, uh, elite in the US are a few hundred. We're not looking at a lot of people. It's uh, last time I checked and give me some room here. Um, it's 10 to 15,000 people a year who matriculate at the top 25 business schools. Let's add a few for Europe. Let's add a few for the top uh, uh, Asian Asian schools. We're looking at 10, 20,000 people, maybe. Um, so the differentiation happens at this test, but it also happens in the quality of interactions uh, they have uh, with uh, admissions in terms of their interview, in terms of their networking, in terms of how much effort they put into telling admissions how much they can benefit the school and how the school benefit their journey. Uh, a lot of people are trophy hunting uh, when they apply to school. Uh, and it's not that difficult to see who's doing that. Uh, you can tell there's not much specificity in their essays. There's, uh, they haven't made any connections with anybody at the school. They've never been to any information sessions. And also their essays are bland. There's really nothing there. There's nothing that makes anyone feel that this is real, that they thought about this, that they're passionate about this. So the way the way students differentiate is in, and this is a, a little bit of a black box, Alex. How much a standardized test matters is not really something schools like to say publicly, but we have some evidence that suggests that a standardized test might be 15% of the application, maybe 30% of the application in some schools, which leaves 70 to 85% for resume, uh, interview recommendations, personal statements, networking, uh, diversity factors, all kinds of other things that might go into this pie, right? So the, the differentiation is in the other 70% uh, as well. And that's what we do in the admission side of our, our business. We try to make sure people tell their authentic stories and be honest as heck about what they want to get out of this program. So you don't just help with the testing, you'll help with the whole admissions process and the whole uh, component about it, but my understanding, and yeah. I shouldn't say my understanding, my belief was um, that, you know, if you don't have a high score, then your other 75% doesn't even really get looked at. And because there's so many people, like you said, like 150,000 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, well, the, the official stance at most schools is they look at every application holistically. And I've been doing this for about 16 years. And have several thousand students who've, you know, I've interacted with and, and seen matriculate at every university uh, out there. Uh, 
I, I take them at their word. I, I do. I've seen all kinds of outcomes uh, with regard to standardized testing that end up being successful. Uh, uh, the way I would like to maybe explain it to people who are new to this, and I imagine most people are, I'm definitely in a, in a very niche field here, but it's like if you have uh, five classes on your uh, on your course calendar and you have four A's and a C, well, those are still pretty good grades. Uh, so the, the standardized test is one component out of many, um, but it's not a deal breaker. It just means if it's less than if it, it, if it shows that you don't have a command of some basic mathematics, a basic reading, basic communication, basic logic, then the other components of your application have to overcome that. Mm. But I don't think there's any score that's necessarily a deal breaker because I, I, I've seen all kinds of outlier scores get into the best schools. So did you then evolve your business from initially just doing the testing to doing the whole thing once you realized the whole thing was important or were you always involved in the whole component? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it no, it, it evolved uh, because uh, the standardized test portion is the one that's usually most aggravating for students. They're, that's the one that they're most nervous about and have require the most time to fix and address. Months, some cases, years to fix these things uh, for all kinds of reasons: military deployments, uh, illness, all kinds of stuff, work-life imbalances. Uh, when they actually get a score they're proud of on the standardized test, uh, then they have to move on to the next portion, which is the differentiation on the other aspects of their application. And so I used to get just emails out of the blue, like, hey, could you look over my, my personal statement? Um, could you just, just take a look at it and just give it a sanity check? And that stuff happened all the time to the point where I just, got sad when someone did all this hard work, got a great score, and all the aspects of their application that are tangible are great. Great job, great GPA, great test, test, test score, winning personality. They should get in. They should have, they should have their options. And then they, they tell me after the fact that they didn't get in somewhere. And I'm like, well, what did you write? Like, what, what did you do? I've been this confused. Like, what happened? Uh, I, I don't, you know, you know, forget one school. How'd you get shut out from five schools? That doesn't make sense to me. You must have, there must be something that you didn't do properly. So let me see. So I used to review their applications. I'm like, oh, that's why this, this alignment isn't there. Your resume and this personal statement and your interview. Okay, that's it. They're confused at what your goals are. So um, it, 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 it was basically a cottage industry, Alex. Like, I'm like, if we do all this work to get the standardized test, which is the hardest part, then we should also at least offer services for these other things. Um, so uh, that's why at this moment right now, today's we're taping on, uh, I think January 13th, I think. Uh, I'm at the end of uh, our round two uh, MBA admission season. So I got a few days left, uh, but it's the busiest time of our year. Uh, this is when people are writing their essays and uh, uh, a lot of nervous, uh, a lot of nervous Nellies uh, <laughs> in my clientele right now but uh, oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I believe that so first of all thank you for taking the time during busy time to, to do this no no of course interview. and then to speak about more like I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here and you have been at all sorts of universities and institutions from you know Wharton to, to Harvard to Stanford to John Hopkins to Georgetown um, and so you obviously value education and learning so it makes sense that you would have gotten to the space 
have you always uh, been been like that? And you said testing, you know, was was some degree a game to you. But but when did you realize that you know maybe education or or teaching was something that you were passionate about, wanted to do? Probably uh, a year in, I, I didn't know it would be my my vocation, right? But I always, as soon as I started teaching, I'm like, I'm gonna have to do this. This is this is a uh, life affirming. It's 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 uh, it's my why. I know I can do this well. I know there's other things I could probably do okay uh, in in life, but I, I know I could do this one really well. Uh, and I I also see some tangible benefits in changing trajectories of people, like people who you know you know get jobs they couldn't get. They change their family's trajectory. They they start their own nonprofits down the road. Like I've had some benefit now. Um, you know, 16 years of this, you see some people some beautiful LinkedIn updates. That's what I get paid in, Alex. <laughs> like I, I love I love hearing back from students like oh thank you for believing me back then this is what I'm doing now uh, so I knew very early on after two, like that first year I'm like I'm gonna have to do this role you know going forward um, and and with regard to the education aspects of it uh, I, I I believe in continuing education I, I sincerely do uh, I've only feel like I'm getting better is if, if I'm putting myself out there and um, around people who are way smarter than me and way more educated than me uh, about things. So uh, I'm not an educator by training, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't study education, but uh, I certainly have taken classes uh, in the last few years uh, in these disciplines and mathematics and, and finance and all kinds of stuff. Just so, um, you know, uh, I think the teacher needs to be the student every so often too. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, I, I don't want to be always didactic with my students. I, I want to be in a position where I'm vulnerable too, and it helps me become a better teacher. Makes sense. And I always like knowing about the extremes. Is, have you come across uh, people where on the one side, you're like, oh man, this is going to be really tough for this person to overcome this. And then they ended up performing incredibly well. And given that you've been done this, I've been doing this for 16 years, like have had a success story from somebody that, you know, maybe didn't believe in themselves or, or maybe you were not sure of and then the other side somebody that was you know had all the attributes incredibly well and then you know what just couldn't turn it around for whatever reason yeah all the time uh, but uh, uh, the former more often than the latter thankfully yeah I mean the reason why we started this nonprofit um, armor business smart with the heart is to uh, increase access for people uh, there's a lot of haves and have-nots and uh, I know the position uh, of the belief and my co-founder Jay Friedman is of the belief that you know uh, education uh, should not be a luxury good uh, it's bad for society uh, and if we're able to help anybody we should try to help as many people as we can and and at least democratizing this because uh, uh, we've seen it we've seen so many instances of, of people just changing their lives because of it and changing their their families lives because of it. Uh, uh, so for, for the former, the people who don't believe in themselves, honestly, Alex, I probably get a few hundred of those a year, a few hundred, I, I don't want to name names for their privacy sake, yeah. but a few hundred times a year, people come in with like, I don't think I can do this. I don't believe I'm cut out for this. I'm looking at this school's, uh, uh, acceptance percentages. I'm not one of them. I'm not fancy. I didn't have all those benefits. Uh, there's no way I should apply. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't do that. We don't think like that here. Uh, and it that takes some time. It takes some months of encouragement and all kinds of talks and psychology to get them uh, ready to put forth an earnest application. Um, the other side less often occurs. The person who has 
pristine academics, pristine job, pristine test score, and doesn't get in, they often, the ones that don't get in, uh, they don't have EQ. Uh, frankly, they interview poorly, or they're not self-aware in their, in their essays, or they're not self-aware in interactions. They don't understand that, wow, that was a faux pas you committed, and no one else in the room likes you, and there's a reason for that, and they never actually pick up on that. Uh, that's a rarer case, uh, mm. <laughs> uh, thankfully. Uh, I don't run into too much of that, but that I, I could see it. I, I again, I'm not gonna name names, but I, I I've seen yeah. it too. Seen pristine everything. Oh, why didn't they get in? Oh, they must have uh, not done well in the interview. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but when you speak about you know people that maybe come and say, hey, you know, I don't think I can do this, is that like you know a conscious verbalization, um, or is that something that they actually believe? Because why would they come to you if they don't think that they can do it with with work or with help? Like. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of hangups with standardized testing. And I, and so uh, you know, the number of people, I, I have a, a survey in class one where I ask students, are you a good test taker? You know, simple, simple question. And then most people say no, and that's okay. And there might be some self-selection here, right? You know, I, I'm getting people who know they're somehow uh, need the help. Uh, so the majority of my students come in telling me that they're not very good test takers. And what I tell them is good, that at least we're honest about it. And I also tell them this truthfully, being a bad test taker is like being a bad cook. It's a skill, it's not destiny. You can become a better cook and you can become a better test taker if you understand how the test is gonna work and what you need to do to get become better at it. Uh, how you manage the clock, how you manage your psychology, what you eat beforehand, how do you manage the break? These are things that you can actually work on. Just like I could become not a chef chef, but I can probably cook an egg with enough practice, right? So um, uh, I, I get a lot of people who have, uh, again, there's probably some bifurcation here. There are some people who know they're bad test takers, but regardless, they believe in themselves and they're only shooting for the top schools and they, they know they can do it. They have that self-confidence, but there's a, it's like a, another two tail a risk, a two tail event here. I, I have another tail uh, that's like, they know they're bad at test taking at the moment, but they actually don't have any confidence that they'll fix it, but they still know they want some help uh, to see if they can get something because they're just stuck at their job. They don't want to do what they're doing anymore. They're tired of not being championed at work. They're tired of having their ideas being bulldozed. They're tired of just tired. And so they're looking for a way to level up, to change their trajectory. So they come kind of just, just help me. Whatever you can help we do, uh, that'd be great. And then, you know, I, I encourage them to shoot high. <laughs> uh, yeah, as much so, as I can. Yeah. So from talking to you, it sounds like you're very able and capable of articulating what you kind of witness and see in other people and observe other um, behaviors and, and how people view the world and interact with it. Where did that skill develop? Like in this goes to you know your wife mentioning you know you do psychology work. Has, has that always been you, or has that developed from just being encountering with people, trying to understand them, asking questions, or where's that observation skill and then being able to articulate it come from? You know, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm not sure I'm any good at this, but uh, uh, there might be some innate stuff. There might be some innate, uh, uh, some observational skills, but I, I would say that most of my uh, skills were to have been developed. Uh, I, it's, you know, doing this when I say literally, I mean it like six, six and a half days a week for
for 16 years, you get good, at least, you know, if you're paying attention, because you start seeing the same mental models appear. You see the same, like, I'm not even talking about the test questions and that's not, I'm talking about like how people interact with the curriculum, how people interact with uh, a difficult client engagement and how that affects their testing or how the holidays affect their testing and their studying and how they feel good or bad when they hit a new high score or hit a new low like like i've seen pretty much every permutation uh, uh, in this very small bandwidth and very small band of people like the the 25 to 30 year old who wants to go to a top 10 mba program i've met a lot of those types right so i've seen it and so like I, I'm kind of like a jukebox. Like, okay, uh, this person needs a B7. Got it. This person needs a B5. This person needs an A, an A12. I pretty much can tell within about 30 seconds what they'll need. Just by their email, I can tell. Uh, I think that's uh, that's been developed over a lot of reps, honestly. So I don't know what a B5, B7, A. I got a jukebox. Like, you can just pick a song. Oh, oh. So I don't, I don't even know much about jukeboxes. <laughs> I, I don't think most people do. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> so, so that caught me off. I thought that was some, like, type of, like, Test. No, that's a dated reference. That tells you how old I am. Okay, no, fair enough. Um, very, very cool. And um, but some of the things that you talk about is, you know, even things that you maybe dig into a little bit more. So it, it sounds like a curiosity, like you know, you mentioned holiday, Thanksgiving, how they interact with work. How is it that you understand or know these things about the people that you interact with? And is it just because you know that time of the year, their behaviors changes? Or like how much time or what kind of time do you spend with, 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 I'm going to say, I'm going to call them clients. You know, it's part of our, our pedagogy at our, our little, little boutique that we have. We, we make sure that we have personal interactions with our students. We get to know them. So we have, and again, I don't want to advertise here. So I'll, I'll just say, we want to make sure that all of our instructors, including myself, I'm an instructor, really get to know our students through chats. So every month we chat with them and if they feel they're feeling uh, overwhelmed or they feel they're struggling even more often than that. So we get to know our students and we don't just talk about their tests. In fact, most of my chats are not talking about their tests at all. It's talking about other stuff. Uh, so it's through uh, by, by design. Uh, we want to make sure we give them a personal experience. Yeah, interesting. And, and that just makes them maybe feel more comfortable and, and maybe more known. Yeah, uh, which which then helps uh, ultimately with their subconscious beliefs or, or conscious beliefs. Yeah, interesting. Um, and you said that you know you're an instructor and you're a co-founder. How many people are are you working with, and what are some of the things that you have to manage with or deal with as a co-founder? You're working with you know people that you're teaching, and what about the other instructors? And how are you guys structured as a nonprofit and taking on so many people? Yeah, yeah. So uh, our, our nonprofit is. Uh, is about to launch. We're, we're creating uh, a, a, a an asynchronous class with some uh, live check-ins. So we're trying to do the best of both worlds so that we can expand our reach and lower the price point to an unbelievably low level uh, that's unseen in this business because there are haves and have-nots and we want to be uh, catering to as many people as possible, uh, especially URM communities, military communities, uh, first-gen communities. That's where our nonprofit is. Uh, we're nonprofits trying to help. Um, so we, we we came up with something that is first of its kind, and uh, we're going to release it hopefully in the next, uh, frankly, next month. Um, uh, and, and that's going to help uh, with with scale. Uh, ultimately, it's very hard for us to find instructors uh, forever. And and you know what? Uh, I've 
instead of treating that as a problem, I've, I've treated that as like a as, as a badge of honor. Like we have very high standards because we're starting off with, okay, you need to have 99 percentile scores, which is already a very small number. And then on top of that, you need to have some emotional intelligence. And that's almost as hard to get. Like not a smart person and then a smart person who actually teach and actually can sense disturbance in someone and just sense that someone is struggling. That's almost as hard to get. So like it's like two mountains to climb. So we can we we have difficulty finding instructors. Uh, a lot of our instructors are former professors, Fulbright scholars, all kinds of stuff. Um, um, brilliant people, but they're not hired because they're brilliant. They're hired because they actually are genuinely nice. Um, and so through this new hybrid model where there's asynchronous classes plus plus check-ins, we, we found that we can actually help a few thousand people at a time when in reality, we have a, a strong commitment for our live instruction to have small class sizes, super small, 12 people, 15 people max, so we can get actually to know our students. Um, so we found this, we conceived this way to help many more people at a lower price point um, through this new model that we hope to fully announce next month. And what sounds really interesting about that as well to me is that you mentioned, you know, there's been 99th percentile, they have to have EQ and be able to understand people. Yeah. And then on top of the fact that they, like you mentioned, it's a nonprofit, but but then they're going to have to, you know, decide that they're not going to take on the private world and build their own enterprise. You're or, telling you know, me. You're telling me. Exactly. So the box is slimmer. So now it has to also be something, like you said, somebody that's nice, that's kind, that wants to get back, that has that innate desire to, to maybe teach or, or yeah. has has a calling for this. So yeah, so your bucket or, or pool of people is going to be very, very yeah. Um, small on that side. Like, we, we pay well relative to education, but we don't pay well relative to tech. Well, you, don't <laughs> well, you, you know, so yeah, it's right. Like it's it's maybe three about this decline. Yeah, yeah we, need exactly. who, we need people who are uh, uh, very unusual on, on a yeah. host of fronts. Yeah, to get something 99th percentile with a high <laughs> EQ and nice, like yeah. emotional intelligence. I, I don't like. want to say we're all nice. I don't want to say, like, but, like the, my students, my my employees are nice, for sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, it seems like a small pool. Yeah, it is. Um, for sure. But then, you know, you're saying you're going into these small classes. I'm in, in the sound deck digital to me. So now it sounds like you're also taking on, you know, to some degree, you're turning into a little tech company itself. Because <laughs> how you're building your own software platform, you know, that yeah. on board tour. So, um, like, are you going to turn into maybe like the next Coursera kind of situation or EDX? And I, and then not like this is a little bit out there, but like, it's the idea to have a platform that people can go to like that, or or am I understanding that correctly? No, you're. Uh, yes, you are understanding correctly, but that's not our vision. Our vision is not as broad or as uh, as grand as Coursera or anything like that. We, we'd like to uh, offer test prep and, and admissions uh, to the GMAT GRE. Maybe if we get well-funded and have time to build out really, really high quality stuff, maybe other standardized tests, maybe the SAT, ACT. But in fairness, uh, there are some good options out there already on the SAT level and the ACT level, some decent options, uh, I would say, and some of them are nonprofit, like Khan Academy has done a great job. Uh, but at, at, in our space, there really isn't. Um, and that's why we're, we want to do it. We want to help out. Uh, I, I think uh, helping out a few thousand is doable and uh, realistic. Helping out more than that uh, is also possible. Uh, but it's not our immediate goal. I think if we can help a few thousand people get into school uh, when they didn't believe they could, that's a good thing. 
Virginia. That's that's absolutely amazing because you know, <laughs> you're not just helping those few thousand people. You're yeah, helping, yeah. like you mentioned, you know, those families, yeah. the kids down the road, and then also how they interact with people in the future, and you know, hopefully some some giving back and, and recognition that, that they do down the road. So so it's very profound impact that you're making. I well, thank you. Uh, I I. I, I hope so. Uh, our our students are, are genuinely incredible. Like I have so many people who are active duty deployed um, in in far off dangerous places, uh, who are looking to transition from the military to the private sector. And, and, and the, you know, beyond the fact that they're doing incredibly courageous things, a lot of them don't even know their value. They don't understand that. Wow, you actually. The private sector would love you. Like, they don't know that. They don't have any idea that you know, you did you did logistics in Kandahar. Uh, you could do logistics at Amazon. I'm pretty sure they'll take you. You know what I mean? Like like they don't even know. They they think they have no value. Uh, and uh, trying to get these people to realize that no no you're 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 the you're the gold standard. We just need to fix a couple of things and have you prepped a little bit, and you'll be off to the races. That that's really inspiring to me. To see uh, like people change their like, wait a minute, I could do this. Yeah, you could do it. That's really really cool because, yeah, uh, I've spent a little bit of time in, in the startup angel investing world. Yeah, and and you know a lot of times you see great companies, great founders, you know, product market, product company fit. Um, and other times, um, and in those instances, you know, like you said, yeah, I think you can do this, right? I you deserve an investment. But but other times, uh, I think I. Often I still come across across I'm like, oh, you don't have this. You're totally underestimating what it takes to do logistics in Kandahar, to use your example, um, or or to to scale this type of business, and, and how many components are are involved in this, and what it takes to actually do this. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, getting ready for the GMAT, SAT, things like that. Like, it, like you said, it takes months or years of work. It's not something you can probably do in in a week. Um, yeah, we don't believe in shortcuts, Alex. That's that's a differentiator. There's plenty of people who out there who will sell the shortcuts and then and 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 you know what? I'm a capitalist too. That's that's fine. It's just in my experience, that's not that's not how we work. We're not looking for quick fixes. We're looking for wholesale changes in scores. So we're we we don't apologize. We have a very rigorous course, uh, yeah. and it's it it's a lot more handholding required, <laughs> a lot more work. Uh, and we don't apologize for it. When someone says they're applying to Wharton, I'm like, okay, good, let's go to work now. Like, I'm not going to apologize for having the course be difficult. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So it's a course curriculum that you guys kind of take people on in a path through. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which makes sense. Me and my wife are, are training for a half marathon as part of, uh, you know, me doing New Year's resolutions. And I'm very much a, like a, you know, go getter, let's try and do this kind of person. She's very much a, oh, let's like think about this um, and and then maybe decide down the road if we want to do this person. So December 31st rolls around. I'm like, hey, we're going to play in a doubles tennis tournament. You know, we never, never played competitive tennis. We're going to do a half marathon. Wow. First week of the month or for first, first week of the year, uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're on the treadmill every day, getting ready. We have our marathon planned out for Thanksgiving, you know, so we're, we're giving ourselves time. And granted, you know, we're both athletic, so it's not like a out of nowhere kind of thing. And it's probably doable it's an attainable goal in my opinion but yeah but still um it, it's good to hear from you that you know it, it all takes time and if you have time and you have commitment to it it sounds like then and it's the support system and the support system because when it's not gonna be linear that's the thing alex like <laughs> most of us are type a we like those projects we like having uh 
progress that's you know the, the progress report is better than the last one like all of us would be it'd be great for us to see like oh we're 50 percent done we were 35 percent done last time all right we have work to do but it feels good but on, on a skill-based exam it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like a a straight line there's a there's, there's a curvature to it where basically things are just terrible and sucky for a long time before any kind of nice part of the curve exists and that's where it takes you need support that's where I find that you need the hand-holding to realize to help people realize wait a minute you have to be good at this till you try it the 10th time and I wish I can get you snap my fingers and get you the 10th time today but you need to be terrible for a while you need to be terrible on your fifth and sixth because it's all on the on the way to getting that 10th and as soon as I see that first jump as soon as you crack your serve uh, in the ad court at 100 miles an hour and you hit and you hit the line hit the tape it's like oh whoa i can do this but you don't hit that on the second shot you know you probably hit the net 15 times before you actually start cracking serves using your tennis analogy like i i wish i could show people like what's going to happen earlier but it's just uh, on a skill-based exam it doesn't happen that way well and that makes sense and what you speak about reminds me of compound interest or you know the network effect that yeah yeah that that really it, it adds up over over time and i and i heard this interesting little thing today about you know this a domino can knock over a domino one and a half times bigger than it after 13 dominoes you know yeah. a five mil, fil, millimeter domino can knock over a 100 pound domino after just 13 dominoes right so it's just continuous adding on so you have the support system you have the curriculum right yeah. you have people that understand you right so you're adding those things on and like you said it's not linear those yeah. things multiply on top of each other Absolutely. And so really, really powerful that you guys are taking on all those components and combining them together to ideally give people, you know, the, the results that they want. So that's really, really amazing. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> amazing is, is strong. We're, we're trying. <laughs> yeah. No, no, really, really cool. Um, so you've had an incredible uh, path and journey and have helped, I'm assuming and hoping uh, incredible people accomplish incredible um things is there any success stories that you are able to share about you know without mentioning uh names of, of some you know like i said i like hearing about the yeah uh, some of my students are professors now at these schools they oh. they trust me they they came in not knowing how to make change in a bakery i'm telling you and they're, they're now the professors at, at schools and that's cool uh i can't tell you how many uh bankers and consultants and tech product managers. I, I can't tell you how many of those you know, people are alums of our program, but uh, the, the real, the ones that uh, uh, that always stick to me are the ones that I know I had real conversations with and they, and they were down and uh, they were in that, they're in that low point where it wasn't that linear growth. They hit, the, they hit a, they hit, they hit a down point and it was only because they hadn't slept well. They had a bad practice test, and the fate of the world was like in, in on that test. And they just totally felt they couldn't do it. And I, I've I remember those most most uh, specifically. And when those things turn and they get that job and they transition out of uh, the business that they were in and they're into a much into one that's far more um, closer to self actualization. Uh, those are the ones that, that stick with me. Uh, some of them are professors, some of them have started their own nonprofits now. Uh, some of them have started their own non, uh, some uh, their own businesses. And I, I can't tell you, I mean, countless uh, uh, consultants and uh, 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 tech product managers I, <laughs> I know, who many of them uh, are currently at uh, our school and uh, in a 
have gone through our school uh, in years past. Amazing. And um, I hope that these people recognize, you know, some of the support that they got from you. And given that you are a nonprofit and, you know, these universities get large donations and endowments and things like that uh, all, all the time from, from past students or alumni. Um, do you guys also accept donations to support people? Yeah, we will. Yeah, uh, we for sure. This is Alex. This is uh, new to me. You know, yeah. I've, I've never done the fundraising like this ever. Uh, we've been, a, you know, a little boutique, uh, successful uh, shop uh, doing what we do. But uh, the nonprofit is, is launching this month. We have a preliminary, uh, fingers crossed, uh, approval from the IRS. So it's just a matter of time before we can full on do our fundraise. Uh, we're not looking for a whole lot. Frankly, we don't need it. We're very lean. Um, but yes, uh, certainly anyone who would like to help us, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll, <laughs> I'm sure we can, uh, we can find a way for you. Uh, again, our constituencies are first gen college kids, uh, URM communities, military transitioners, uh, and, and women, uh, who are often underrepresented at, at business school. Yeah. Well, uh, if you can, before we get this out, maybe we can include it in the show notes, a link or something like oh, that for your profile, because. Uh, one thing that you know really sticks with me is is participating and supporting things that transform people's lives, not for their own personal benefit, but because of the impact it has when they engage with their spouses, with their kids, and then that impact that has you know how their kids will then engage with you know, their future spouses and then their kids, and and that continuous ripple effect on how it affects future generations. So, so anything that really impacts uh, people's people's personal lives and how they interact and and change their lives around really me, matters a lot to me. So it's something that I'd be interested in supporting. Oh, I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I appreciate the time you give me. Is there anything else that you want to touch on or chat about a little bit? No, I, I, I thank you for your time. I mean, uh, I mean, the, the stuff you're doing with this community, uh, the time you're taking and, and the quality, uh, I don't think I added to it today, but uh, the quality of the output is, is really great. It's great to, uh, uh, see what our community is doing and, and, and learn from them. Uh, uh, thank you for, you know, thank you for doing this. No, I like it. I like, you know, being able to ask the questions that I have. So selfishly, you know, I, I like hearing from the people that in our community and, and getting to understand a little bit better what they do because yeah. it helps uh, further expand my knowledge. And so thank you uh, for being on today and appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Alex.